That is your name, right? Carl. Yes? Are you sure? Escaped from a camp outside New Berlin in '54. No, sir, that's not me. I think it is. I'm gonna kill you now. There's nothing you can say or do about that. But I'm gonna need something first. Dickheads, I got pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from Japanese occupied San Diego to your brain hole. We are back after our vacation, our season one break, and we're after our Man in the High Castle cliffhanger. We're going to finish off Man in the High Castle and talk about the TV show. Anthony, how was your break? It was great. Um, I spent it not reading PKD. And then I had to watch this show, but we finished a novel during the break, which has been quite cumbersome of a task. Yeah, so what Anthony's talking about, uh, he and I co-wrote a novel together that hopefully one day y'all get to read. Um, It's like a horror, sci-fi, crime, crimera. Um, We're really proud of it. It's called Nightmare City, so one day, hopefully, we're uh, looking for a forever home for it. Larry, what'd you do over break? And I'm Langhorn J. <laughs> what? He's got you, David. You did not introduce yourself to anybody who might just be dropping in to listen to an episode on Man in the High Castle, the show. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's true. Because I'm sure there are probably a lot of listeners out there who are just fans of the TV show. You can put probably a lot in air quotes. Yeah. So if you're new to dickheads... <laughs> Um, this show is devoted to the works of Philip K. Dick, and we are reading, uh, one of his novels a month during the run of our seasons. We're reading them in order of publication. Damn, did you just forget what the show was about in the two months we were gone? No, I'm just, we're rusty. Here's the thing. We just took, uh... I'm not, I'm not rusty. (laughs) I'm here, and I'm ready. Anthony's on point. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we read... (laughs) Fucking for once... (laughs) We, uh, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> we, uh, read all the books. We break them down. We do the, uh, we do one movie episode a month, two, or a TV show adaptation. And so this is a little different for us because we've never done an entire season of a TV show. Yeah. And I didn't even bother to take notes. So well, well, who are you, David? Uh, yeah. I'm David Agronoff. I'm author of Punk Rock Ghost Story and The Vegan Revolution with Zombies. And... and I'm Anthony Trevino, author of Some Stuff, Who Cares? I write about film, and I have another podcast called The Real Obscure Podcast. It's all right. It's pretty sweet. 
And they Larry. talk about weird movies. Are you still doing the Two Dads podcast? Yeah. Oh, I also do another podcast called Two Dads and Millennial. I'm just whoring myself out to podcasts now. Yeah, Two Dads hey, and Millennial is up that's to... That's the way to go. I'm, yeah. yeah, and I'm also... Are they up to like two podcasts a year? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, on the rate that we put out an episode, we, we certainly are. So yeah, I'm a writer, podcaster, never professional. And that's me, Larry. And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. Uh, Larry is our trusty engineer. Uh, so he's the one that makes us sound good. I edit stuff. Yeah. So he does all the hard work. So seriously, um, when you, if you've listened to a bunch of episodes of this show, just really thank Larry for his hard work. He does all the work to make it possible for me to tell David to shut up. And it sounds good. <laughs> That's Sometimes. True. There's a lot of that. So anyways, we're back after this long break and, uh, <laughs> we're excited to talk about Man in the High Castle. Um, or at least some of us are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't excited to talk about the book either. Yeah. Anthony wasn't even a fan of the book. Uh, Larry and I are. If you have not what? listened. Hey, I was, I was, I think I was pretty middling on the book. He was. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I was a fan of the book. Yeah. So, we know. Right. So, um, we do have two other episodes about Man in the High Castle. So if you have not listened to those, go back and listen to those because they're really good. We did an interview with a historian and a philosopher. Who have both written about Man in the High Castle extensively. And I don't know if we did this, but did we do the contest for the books? We did, but nobody wrote in for well, them. Well, we, we got one person that won a book. So somebody's owed a book. Oh, okay, yeah. I gotta get on that. But we got two more copies of the book, so if you're listening and... And you would like some Man in the High Castle and philosophy in your life. And all you have to do is leave a comment on the SoundCloud episode of or the interview episode yeah or whatever yeah so go back and listen to that interview and then um but what about people who don't know how to comment on soundcloud then they so don't they... get it oh okay dad well they're write... saying they could if they want to leave a comment on the facebook page that might make it a little bit easier or tweet at us yeah they can do that because david lives on twitter i do not live on twitter well your Twitter feed will, will will say different, but... I do more Twitter than you do, but, yeah. You do about as much Twitter as I do Instagram, which is a lot. Yeah, okay. So you can find Anthony on Instagram. Anyway. Anthony T697, it's me. Um, enough of that. <laughs> so, uh, you should go back and listen to the Man in the High Castle episode, because, especially if you're just a fan of the TV show and have not read the book, or not really, like, looked into the book... There's a lot of really interesting things about the book. I would never wouldn't necessarily say though that you can get the idea of the book from the TV show because they're drastically different. Yeah, 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 exactly. But we'll we'll get into that. Equally as, we... as boring, but different. Yeah, different uh, boring. Yeah, <laughs> different boring. I I I definitely man in the high castle hashtag different boring. <laughs> well, I didn't find the novel boring, but um, that's just me. But I've read it three times too. So good. God, David. <laughs> yeah. Over many years. Dude, so. dude. The first time I read it was in the 90s. So, I mean, like, come yeah. on. If I were dying and that was the only book left on my deathbed, like, nightstand table, uh, now I would just no. welcome death. No, no. You are exaggerating. It's not that bad. I welcome death every day. Ooh, Edgelord Larry. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um David's so fucking happy to be back, Larry. <laughs> We're going to skip one of the things we normally do in these episodes, which is a story and publication history because we done did that. Yeah. It's true. Um 
in the last episode, and there's a lot of story and publication history in the in, the, in that episode. And what's amazing to us is that um, we did an episode about cosmic puppets, which is like our absolute least favorite PKD novel that has like a hundred times more downloads than the other episodes. But if anybody likes the cosmic puppets, leave a comment on the SoundCloud or comment on our Facebook page because I want to know. Why anyone would enjoy the Cosmic Puppets. <laughs> I'm still pushing this. Yeah. Well, um, anywho, we, yeah, if you want to hear about the story and publication of the actual novel, that's, that's where you go, that episode. And I think it's really good. I re-listened to it a couple days ago just to kind of refresh my memory on the, the, um, publication in case that came up in this episode. And, and I'm pretty happy with it. It's over two hours long. It's our longest episode. Because I think Man the High Castle has like the most shit to get into so far. Um, yeah. I'm suspecting we'll have some really long ones when we get around to like Three Stigmata and yeah. Phallus and all that. But how do you feel about the I Ching? Or is uh, it the I Ching? I Ching. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know what's funny is you corrected me a bunch on that. And that <laughs> That's episode, true. So. That's okay. I get my comeuppance, David. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I don't know. I mean. Uh, I, yes. Hold on, let's take a break for a second because I want to grab my coffee, man. Pause for David, everybody. Well, you can keep talking if you got something to say. You want me to vamp? Well, so here's a little story. Um, so listen up because I'm like about to, to ruin the image. No, okay. I just needed to grab a copy of uh, Man in High Castle and Philosophy, which was uh, edited by former Dickheads interview guest. Uh, Bruce Krychek, and it um, has some really good stuff in it, and I just re-read, I just read that recently. So I actually didn't read this book because I started reading it, and it seemed to focus a lot on the TV show right. rather than the book, and I didn't want it to color my interpretation of the show. Yeah. There are some essays in here that are really focused on the, on the book and PKD in general. There's like a really good one about whether he's a libertarian or not. I just want to put something out there, guys. If anyone who listens knows how to get in touch with Greg Rickman, who wrote PKD on film for Arrow Video, send me a direct message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter so I can interview him for this podcast. That is my public service announcement for this episode. Thank you very much. Good night. Hey, listeners came through when I asked on the show for Barry Maltzberg's uh, address, and so hopefully he'll be a guest in season two. The more you know. The more you know. So somebody out there, thank whoever it was. Hook, a, hook a Anthony up with Greg Rickman, please. So whoever hooked us up with Barry Malsberg, maybe you know Greg Rickman too. Um, well, and one thing too I wanted to mention um, for longtime listeners of the show is that I'm reading Astounding, the the golden era of science fiction biography um, right now. And as much as it's not very PKD related, there is – a ton of information. There's tons of name drops of, of um, Tony Boucher. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Tony Boucher again. Um, for some reason, he came up like all the time in season one. So anyways, let's get into the production and pre-production history of Man in the High Castle, the TV show, so we can get some foundation for how this happened. Um, the main person who drove the bus in getting this uh, made as a TV show is ironically enough Ridley Scott and his production company Scott Free. Why do you say ironically enough? Well, for a couple reasons. One, he famously said that 
you know, people think that because of his involvement in Man in the High Castle and doing Blade Runner that Ridley Scott is a big PKD fan, but he has said numerous times that he didn't even read Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep because he thought it was boring, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like Anthony. Right. (laughs) So, listen, sometimes I don't like stuff. Like Man in the High Castle. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it's hard for me to believe that he thought Man in the High Castle was a more interesting novel. Yeah, come on. I think that just the idea of doing an alternate Nazi world was interesting to Ridley Scott because he's really into set design and architecture and like how to film those types of things. However, he didn't end up actually – he's just an executive producer because he tried for years to get it set up as a miniseries at BBC. And for – so the original genesis of Man in the High Castle as a television show is entirely through London and through the BBC. And so it came very close several times over the years. It's a thing that – if you're into PKD, there was many announcements that, like, BBC is doing Man in the High Castle, and there was a, lot, a bunch of false starts. Ridley Scott and BBC teaming together to do Man in the High Castle. And originally, they came very close to doing a four-part British series of Man in the High Castle. I don't know if it would have been uh, set in England or faithful to the novel. I believe it was supposed to be faithful to the novel to a degree, but the show... Uh, did not happen, and then uh, Scott Free connected with Frank Spotnitz. Do you guys know who Frank Spotnitz is? Well, we do, but I don't know if our listeners do. All right. Well, Frank Spotnitz is was a producer and a writer on The X-Files and Millennium, and he was a protege of uh, Chris Carter of The X-Files, much like Vince Gilligan, uh, who went on to do Breaking Bad. And so Spotnitz um, had started his career as a journalist and had a lot of ties in Europe and had wanted to, after his years in Hollywood, had wanted to get back to living in Europe, but wanted to continue to do TV. So he did a couple TV shows over in Britain. Um, I think he did one called Hunters. I'm not sure... I I haven't seen them. They're they're you know they were pretty British TV shows, and it's not that I don't watch some British TV, but I just didn't see them. Anyway, Spotnets is a really good producer, and um and I should just mention that a really good podcast to listen to if you're really wanting to dig into um, this first season of Man in the High Castle is he did an interview with the Nerdist Writers Panel about the first season, and it's really really good. And you'll hear me. Uh, I'm sure I'll be referencing that interview several times. I just listened to it again on my bike ride here to um, to record the podcast. And uh, when when the series first came out, I really enjoyed this interview because I think it has a lot for writers to get out of um, how he constructed the narrative. But what was really cool about when Ridley Scott approached Spotnets to do the show, the first thing he did, and he said this in the interview, was – that he went and read the biography of Philip K. Dick, he read the novel, and then he just did a lot of research about PKD, the the guy, because he didn't just want to adapt the novels, he wanted to make sure that he was faithful to the concepts of, of PKD. And I um, thought that was pretty cool. And I was really glad that he did that. And I think that shows in the first season with 
Um, All the changes he made. <laughs> well, he did say that... You yeah, know, but Larry, could you imagine an, a, a Man in the High Castle show that's just like the book? Well, I can imagine one that's closer to the book than this, but okay. I, I'm, I'm not even faulting the show for drifting away from the novel. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah. Well, in... He did say that there were three major themes of the TV show and two of the themes he felt were in the novel and one he felt was not. Um, it was one that they added and that theme that they added was the um, what does freedom mean and what's the price of freedom. and and It's a buck oh five. Yeah. yeah. Well, freedom <laughs> okay. isn't free. You know yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I just know that um, that interview just has some really good insights, but I really do appreciate that Spotnitz made an effort to keep PKD in mind uh, throughout the process. And, and uh, you know, he took seriously enough to read his biography. I mean, Ridley Scott couldn't even bother to read the book that he turned into a movie. So that that's at least a step up. So BBC uh, didn't – they had false starts with BBC. It didn't happen. But Spotnitz um, basically when he came on, even though he wanted to keep the show headquartered out of London and the writer's room was out of London, um, he wanted to kind of get the scope back to a little more international scope. And that's one of the reasons why he was hired as a producer because with his experience with the X-Files, they figured that he was an end to some of the studios back home. But what they ended up doing was finding a non-traditional source, which was Amazon. Now, Amazon Prime now is well known as a source of TV shows. They have several TV shows with the the uh, hits of Transparent, for example, was a big hit. Um, but at the time, Amazon Prime didn't really have any hit shows. And so they what they did was they ordered a bunch of pilots, they put a bunch of money into pilots, and they basically just put the shows out there saying, you know, hey, here's a bunch of pilots that you can watch for free on Amazon. Take this survey and tell us which ones you want to see as a show. So it was a big deal at the time, and some of you out there I'm sure will remember, if you're serious dickheads, um, that when The Man in the High Castle uh, pilot came on to Amazon, you had the chance to watch it for free and vote for it, and it got the most views of all the Amazon pilots that were out there. And there was a lot of really good buzz towards this pilot. Now, what's important to note about the production of the show is that when they were gearing up to make it as a show for BBC, they wrote four episodes. And the pilot is basically as is they wrote the show to go to four episodes. So once Amazon bought the show and said, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. They said, we want 10 episodes. So they originally had four scripts and they had to basically extend the season out to 10. And I know that when they started filming, they had six episodes written. So, um, that's basically how they, went into production and it does show you that you can see that the first couple episodes seem much um I think are much more tied to the novel yeah. and they had to riff a lot more after the first four episodes that being said and we're going to spoil the fuck out of the show we're going to assume that you watch the show the the most direct translation of any of the scenes from the book is probably the last moment of the season with Tagomi in the plaza. Yeah. Um, 
which is one of the coolest scenes in the book and um, really well realized on the TV show. But we can get more into that. But the budget is um, is a really interesting thing because – so um, the second – season one had a $72 million – production cost 72 million dollars so and it drew 1.15 million prime viewers because they we know the exact number of people who watched it um on amazon in the first stream so that translates to a cost of 63 dollars per prime subscriber that amazon spent on the tv show now obviously prime subscribers um not all of them are watching the tv show and prime subscribers feed into a lot of other things and Amazon likes the notoriety that the show gives them. And obviously Amazon, uh, we know that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon is a sci-fi reader and a sci-fi fan. So they've really kicked it up with, they did the electric dreams too. So they must, I'm assuming the richest man in the world. So you're saying I should hire or get Jeff Bezos to bankroll my next sci-fi. Yeah, sure. TV show. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, I know you do. Friend of the show. Friend yeah. of the show. I think he's a little busy right now with the dick pics floating around. Bankroll our sci-fi series. Yeah. It is very PKD. We think you'd like it. Um, and the $150 billion just, dollars they had in profits this Stop sending year. people pictures of your dick. Yeah, so... Six Never six- stop sending pictures of your dick. <laughs> if you're the richest man in the world... <laughs> might as well. Uh, the $63 per prime subscriber seems like a lot, but you know, they, I, it, it was a successful show for them. They considered 1.15 million to be successful enough that we're now getting a fourth season of Man in the High Castle. So where I'm so excited. <laughs> well, listen, are uh, we going to cover all four seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Can you get someone Eventually. else to fill in for me on those episodes? <laughs> Go on, David. Sorry. Damn it. Um, well, and we really appreciate – I do really appreciate that this series and um, the involvement of Phil K. Dick's daughter, Issa Hackett Dick, as a producer. She's um, really trying to you know, keep the flame alive for her father and she's doing a really good job, I believe. And I think Man the High Castle – I'm really interested to see because I do know I have not watched beyond season one other than a few episodes of season two. I've been saving it, but um, I do know that it gets into way wackier sci-fi territory and um, Spotnitz did before he left the show after season one had planted some seeds that um, were based off of the two chapters that PKD wrote for the sequel that he never finished man, the high castle, which was the project he was, Claiming to be working on when he died. Right. So, um, so you know, they've, they've got, um, uh, you know, but listen, to, uh, you know, I think it's a cool thing that the pilot that got the most votes was a PKD show. That That's really I'm cool. not saying that that's not cool. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Then maybe we can live in a, a world one day where the PKD adaptations aren't just revisions of Blade Runner, which is the, which is something I do appreciate about this show in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 they didn't, you know. I don't. I don't think they had to be slavish to the the novel. And um, Whoa. rich boy dollar bill words over here. Slavish is not that big of a word. <laughs> anyway, they didn't need to. 
<laughs> a writer mocking someone for using words. Yeah. Yeah, good one. <laughs> I never claimed to not be... You never claimed to be a role model? A role, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the cast now. Um, Larry, what, who have we got on the on the cast of Man in the High Castle? Well, we got uh, Dark City Guy, uh, <laughs> the, the woman that was in a couple of episodes of Angel, DJ Qualls, who is a, um, a male model. I'm um, sorry. There was a point in time where DJ Qualls was a male model? Yeah, for Calvin Klein, I think. Huh. We've got. He's uh, definitely a that guy actor, DJ Quill. He's been in like a billion romantic comedies from the 2000s. He was in a, a really good movie called The New Guy, where Lyle Lovett plays his dad. Pretty oh, fantastic. Yeah, comedy. they kind of look like each other a little bit. That was good casting. There's Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa, Tagawa, and he played uh, the bad guy, I can't remember, Shang Sun in Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Mm, yeah, Rupert more. Evans, who was in one good movie and has done nothing but shit movies since, <laughs> plays an important role. Though he plays Frank, hot, hot Frank, take. Frank. He, I, I swear, do not see that tank movie he's in, and do not see the canal. What you will want to kill him and about, yourself? You're talking about Fury, Fury. The no, no, no. no. Yeah. Tank four thirty five or something. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to see it. Tank four thirty five. It's so fucking bad. But he was in the first uh, Hellboy movie. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah, and then, he's good in that. Uh, the actor who plays Joe Blake, I have, I don't know this actor, Luke Kleintank. Yeah, I've never seen him before either. But And the actor Brennan Brown plays Robert Childen, our favorite racist. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find characters through this list that are important. Uh, Rick Worthy plays Lem Washington, who was not the same character in the book, of course. But no. he I I really like that his character in this. Yeah, his character is cool. And he's got a cool hat. Yeah. And then there's a, another added character played by Joel De La Fuente, who is Inspector Keto. Mm-hmm. And that's also a great character. Just a total Yeah, he's bag. a great character. Yeah, uh, that, but that, I, I did he's just the, the Japanese investigator, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the cop, really and and of course, uh, I just glanced over him. But Rufus Sewell, uh, the Dark City guy, plays <laughs> Obergruben Ob- <laughs> Fuhrer John Smith, per- my personal favorite character in the whole. Yeah, in the whole thing so far. Now, uh, Dark City is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I'm a little um, biased towards him, but I did really like him in the show as well. Did Alex Proyas do any other movies besides Dark City that are good? That are good? No. No. (laughs) I mean, he did The The Crow. Crow. The The Crow's all right. But other than that. Dark City and... I mean... I never remember that he did The Crow. Yeah. Anyway, this is not The Crow cast. Go on. (laughs) Well, um, I... Not gonna say it's a good movie, but I enjoyed iRobot, even though it's, it's not a real, good, yeah, it's, it's not really good. bad. Did not care for it. Yeah, I'm not. I would never say it's a good movie. I'm yeah. just saying I didn't hate it. Like that's really great praise, you know. I didn't hate it. <laughs> didn't hate it. Raves David Agronoff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then the we have the, through it. We have the the <laughs> actor Karsten Norgard, who plays Rudolf Wegner, also does a very good job. Oh, is he the, oh, the one that uh, goes to see Hitler at the end? Yes. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I really liked him. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of characters. It's a TV show, so. 
Right, right, right. But I, I think that's pretty much the main, the main group of characters. So how, throw some love to my favorite character real quick. Well, oh. we're going to get into him. I think when we go through the episode. Well, right? I'll just say, uh, Burn Gorman of yes. Torchwood fame plays the marshal and is sort of like in a very good over the top performance. Uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the best characters. And, and it's funny because for those of you who, um, when, when that character who listened to us regularly, when that character was on screen the second time I watched it, I immediately was like, oh, there's Anthony's favorite character. It's true. It's so true. I was snoring my way through this until we get to his his introduction. And I was like, huh? I perked up like a dog that hears the food dish being set down. Huh? Yeah. yeah. This character was like written for, for Anthony. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, kind of reminded me of like a Michael Shannon performance, actually, in, in a lot of ways. So he's, he's a lot like... Uh, Michael Shannon's character in The Shape of Water reminds me of yeah, yeah. a little bit yeah Which also I still have my seen. favorite character in The Shape of Water <laughs> yeah yeah no no dude I know I know what what you like it's so true. um but yeah uh that was yeah he's definitely one of the best characters in this season but um but yeah I mean overall I think the cast was really really good yeah very good um and I think. They pulled together quite a quite an ensemble, and for me, it's one of the things that carried the show uh, for me. Like you know, that the times where there was this, this, the burn was very slow, but I think that the characters really like made it sing. And you could tell that the actors were um, really into the show. And if you've ever watched any interviews with the cast, they're very 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 proud of the show and. You can tell that they they really like doing it. So let's talk about the writers and directors for uh, the show. One of the cool things that Frank Spotnitz did was that his director who did the pilot and the finale and many of the episodes, the main director who kind of set the tone for the whole show. Because, you know, on a TV show like this, whoever directs the pilot kind of sets the look of the show. And then the other director is going to have to work within that framework. So it's very important that the first director, a lot of times the director of the pilot and the finale are the same. But one thing that was really cool that they did with Dan, Dan Percival was the director and he did a lot of British TV. So he's mostly a British TV director and he has some kind of interesting credits, but what Spotnitz did was he had Percival in the writing room for the whole process of writing the show before they went into production. So he had a really good handle on the story, which was important because they started to, once they left the framework of the novel in the last kind of four episodes, they were doing a lot of changes as they were going. So that was really important for the finale and one of the things that's really impressive about the finale, and this as a person who likes parallels and reversals and parallel storytelling and back and forth between various threads, that's really the strength of the season finale was um, all the different threads that kind of came together from the whole season into that last episode. Um, but we have uh, we have a couple like kind of big name TV directors that worked on the show, including um, the one that Larry just pulled up on his screen, 
Larry, you want to tell him one one of those directors? Michael Reimer. Yeah, who's really well known for directing like the majority of the episodes of the Battlestar Galactica reboot. So the best show on TV yeah. ever. Yeah, that we both like a lot. I think Anthony, you're a big fan of PSG, right? Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, yes, it's amazing. Yeah. So we're all fans of that. So Michael Reimer being involved was a good get. Uh, one of the best gets, I think episode six was directed by Brad Anderson. Um, and Brad Anderson is the, is a film director, uh, who moonlights and does a lot of TV. Uh, but Brad Anderson is known for, he's the director of The Machinist, um, uh, Vanishing on Seventh Street. What's Most that? recently, he did Beirut. Beirut, which was interesting with John Hamm. Uh, Trans Siberian with uh, Ben King. That's King's. a great one. Yeah, Trans Siberian and The Machinist are, I think, his two best films. I like the idea of Vanishing on Seventh Street. Yeah, but it never went. Anywhere. I mean, the special effects I like were not very on good. Street. I, I I actually think it's really good cosmic horror. Yeah, I, I, I liked that movie. It's just not. You know, it suffered from budgetary constraints. Yeah. Uh, but Brad Anderson's a great director. He's also done a lot of really good TV. He's directed episodes of The Wire, Fringe, um, all over the place. Um, but, you know, we have some really established uh, TV directors um, throughout the various seasons of the show. But the first season, uh, I think the Michael Reimer and Brad Anderson really helped to kind of give the show some cachet and um I'm you know I I just uh I think that they put together a really good crew for that. So the writers and producers, directors, like you got a lot of really good and talented TV people that were a part of some really good stuff. On the writers room, you had um some veterans from Millennium, like Evan Wright, who uh Spotnets brought along for the first season and but the rest were mostly British TV writers. Hmm. So, and the room was out of London. So, uh, one of the writer's names is Emma Frost. Yeah. Can you click on her link and see what her credits were? Um, yeah, she was in the, the league of, of bad mutants or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and then she, uh, you know, she, she didn't like the X-Men. <laughs> um, well, I know she, I, she was, Spotnitz uh, gave her a lot of credit for breaking parts of the second half of the first season. She so. actually did a TV show, a miniseries called The White Queen. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to look it up. Shameless. The White Princess. Yeah, Shameless is a pretty well-regarded show. But uh, I haven't seen it. So um, we got some pretty high-class people behind the production of the show. So that's that's pretty cool. So let's talk about the individual episodes a little bit and the story and, and how it goes. Larry, do you know what time that it means it is? <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was rough. What time well, is I'll time, tell you what time, what time that is. means it is. It's what time, time that means it is. For the story. Breakdown. Clank, clank, clank. Oh boy, here you go. <laughs> it's got to be easier than the novel. Yeah, simple. well, yeah, this this is much simpler than the novel. It really doesn't have as much depth in the story as it, as there is in the novel. But 
That's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, so we start in 1962. Is it 62? 62. 1962, San Francisco. It's just like the book. If you haven't read the book, go read the book or the Cliff Notes version. I don't care. Uh, But uh, most of our characters are exactly as they were in the book, starting there. Sister dies, uh, but that's not in the book. Sort of, we start before the book happens. So it's sort of getting the characters into the position they were in when the book starts. So we've got our happy couple of Frank and Juliana just hanging out, having a good time. Juliana's sister gets shot in the head by the, uh, what are the, what are the police called? I don't remember what the Japanese police. The Japanese police. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I got to go do what my sister was doing because, you know, reasons. And so she goes to do what her sister was doing, meets Joe, and Joe is uh, gotten away from the from the Nazis. Turns out he's a Nazi. And then he's like, hey, you should hang out with me because I'm, I'm really cool and I can do stuff. And then, buh. If I'm Juliana gonna, had read the book, she I'm going to Nazi that. your ass. And then she's like, oh, he saved my life. He's really cool. I, I'm sure he's not a Nazi. Meanwhile, her boyfriend is going to prison. Frank, he's in prison. He's like, fuck, this sucks. And then the bad inspector is like, ah, I'm going to kill your sister. Or you can tell me where your girlfriend is. And he's like, kill my sister. Kill my sister. And then he's like, oh, that was a shitty idea to kill my sister. And her kids. I should have just told him where she was. Because, like, just before he gets killed, they're like, oh, just kidding. We found your stuff somewhere. Or your sister-in-law's stuff somewhere else. Not your problem. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, but it is my problem. You made me get my sister killed. And I hate you and everyone. And I'm going to kill your your crown prince, whatever guy. And so he gets a gun. And he's like, I'm going to kill that dude. And then he goes to uh, our friendly neighborhood racist. He's like, give me bullets. And the guy's like, I don't want to give you bullets. Give me bullets. And then his friend, Ed, is like, you shouldn't do this. Fuck you. And then Ed's like, no, don't do it. Boom, I shot you accidentally. Oh, no. I'm still going to do it because fuck everyone. I'm so angry. And Frank goes and makes more bad decisions. He's standing there, looks at a little kid, and he's like, oh, I guess I can't shoot. And then the crown prince gets shot, and he's like, oh, I didn't even do it, and I got the blame. Fuck this. This sucks. I hate everyone. And then, so he's a dick. And then, so, meanwhile, there's this whole plan to give the the Japanese government plans to the nuclear bombs so that there can be parity between the nations and there won't be war where the Nazis take over, Right. So that's what our our guy Tagomi is working on with Wegner. And it all sort of comes down to blah, 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 Wegner does it. And then goes back home and gets arrested, goes back to New York, gets arrested by John Smith, who is a super badass. You should know that John Smith, Oben Grubenfuhrer, Oben Grubenfuhrer, John Smith is a super badass. These people are trying to shoot him. Everyone else dies. And he's like just sitting behind some pallets like, yeah, I, I got this. And then he, no expression on his face, goes and kills all the people and is like, somebody fucked up here. And so he goes off to find out who fucked up. Meanwhile, his kid is diagnosed with some horrible disease. It's named after Lou Gehrig. 
I don't know what the disease is exactly. But so he's like, oh, that sucks. My kid's all fucked up. And, and now I got a spy in my midst. And then what's his face shows up? What's what's the Hendrix? Hydric? Hydric. Hydric shows up and he's like, Haha, you thought you were a badass. What about me? And John Smith is like, all right, you're kind of a badass too. And you set me up and, oh, I get it now. And so they go hunting at the end, and and Hydrick's like, you join me or you will die because I got my guy that's got a gun on you right now. And John Smith's like, well, you know what? I've also got a guy, and he just shot your guy, and now I'm going to shoot you, but I'm not going to kill you. Then I'm going to talk to Hitler. And that's how that goes. <laughs> so anyway, back meanwhile, back in uh, Colorado, uh, Juliana makes bad decision after bad decision. The marshal chases them around for a while, and he's a badass, but he doesn't get them. They do a little setup thing with her and Joe, and they like, whoa, look, she blew up. She must be dead. You can go look at other things now. And then she's like, oh, i got to go back to San Francisco because Frank's an idiot. And so she does, and then Joe's like, hey, John, open Grubenfuhrer. What should I do? He's like, go do, come home, then I'll send you to San Francisco, and you can do some stuff. And then some stuff happens. There's melodrama. Everyone's like, oh, don't do this. Do that. Oh, but I, I, I love you, Frank, but I want to keep my side piece, Joe, and make sure he's all safe and shit. So in case you die, I've still got a guy. And that's kind of fucked up, but that's what she does. So she protects her side piece. Meanwhile, Frank's best friend ends up taking the rap for killing the, uh, the crown prince. And then Frank's like, no, but it was me. And Ed's like, I guess I'm taking the blame. And so <laughs> that's how that goes. And then so what else do we have? Oh, and then Tagomi is doing his business. They find out what he's doing. To, uh, the other guy, the bad cop, is like, yeah, I've been talking you know, to the Yakuza. And the Yakuza has told me some shit about some shit and who really killed the crown prince and all that shit. And now I know what you did, but you did it for the good of the of our people. So it's right on, whatever. And then Tagomi is like, yeah, I do meditation and the I Ching and all that shit. <laughs> and then so he, like, he he's always holding on to this heart pendant that he he found that actually belonged to Juliana. And he's like, oh, he's having these, um, like, deep meditations. And then he goes to the park and boom, season finale, final moment, he's in a different reality. And that's about all that really happens in this show, in the first season. Yeah. Um, all right. So compared to the novel, we've got lots of differences. <laughs> yeah. Um, personally, I mean, the things that are the same are some of the character names. Yeah. Um, the... Our favorite racist does go to the couple's house to try to bang the the wife mm -hmm. and has a terrible dinner. So we start off with the jewelry store thing, but that's the one storyline that just really gets dropped. Yeah. There's uh, no actual, there's, you know. No resolution. Frank or... Frank doesn't even make jewelry. He's no. A, he's a painter. Right. And so that's like a big, that's a big difference. But I mean, some of the things that are similar, you got the trip to Colorado earlier in the story. You've got Joe being and Juliana, like kind of hooking up and being, you know, him being a Nazi. 
I think they do a better job on the show of making that like make sense, make sense, and be a thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, but Juliana's a shit character compared to the woman in the in the novel. Yes, one hundred and ten percent. Yes, that is one of the biggest reasons I could not give a fuck about some of this show. <laughs> yeah, it's she... so melodramatic. The the whole thing is just so ugh, so obnoxious. Like you know how they have that those uh, those charts where it has a question and it says yes and no. In her and Frank's chart, it would be this is a bad decision. Do you make this decision? <laughs> yes, it's a yes every time when it's a bad decision. Bad decision, bad, bad decision, decision, bad yeah. decision. That's all they do through the whole season is make bad decisions. Yes. It's so fucking obnoxious. Um, it is really true. Um, but, yeah, Juliana is not as strong of a character as we'd hope. I hope in later seasons she becomes kind of a better, stronger character. Because yeah. they really try to make her out to be, like, this hero. And she really isn't, and... I mean, the whole season ends with her making a really bad decision to let the <laughs> let the Nazi go, and yeah, and he didn't even like, say he didn't even say put on the dress and get her haircut. No, I'm hoping that that oh, is in the show better, somewhere. It better be <laughs> yeah. down the line. Yeah. Well, we never actually put on the fucking dress and get a haircut. <laughs> That's the best part of the book for me. Um, and that's one of the major biggest differences between the TV show and the book. There is – you never actually in the TV show go to the High Castle. You never see the person. There isn't yeah. a single author behind it. And I think my biggest problem – Well, they, they say there's a man in the High Castle. Yeah, who's supposedly making these movies. but Right. But it doesn't make – So his, that might be further down the line. But okay, you know. this this is my biggest problem with the TV show, okay? Because I think you could still I understand why they changed it to be films instead of a book because yeah, it's, it's a, a visual medium. Because it's a visual medium. But in my opinion, the way they should have done it is it should have been both. It should have been The Grasshopper Lies Heavy as a book should have still been out there. I and the, yeah, and been the main yeah. thing that drives it and then the films are Kind of like almost like fan films or something that kind of sneaks out or something. I mean, I still like some of the things that happen with the film, like the whole reveal at the end where they they see themselves in the other universe. Yeah, they all see different things in the film. Right. And I do think the fact that they all see different things is kind of interesting and a really cool thing that they did. And I love the idea that Hitler just sits up in his castle watching no. – uh, are they claiming that Hitler is the man in the high castle? No, I think that that's kind of implied, but they with with the kind of revision of where the story went because he is up in a big like castle, castle? <laughs> in the mountains. Right. I do like that actor. Yeah. Steven uh Steven Root. Yeah. He he's a good choice to play that role. Oh, that was Steven Root? I believe so. Wow. Well, you um, can look it up. To... You're the one with the IMDb page open. Um, but I, I just think that it kind of, that the end of the book is, is what I, I enjoyed quite a bit actually. And then one of my biggest issues with the book is that it just drops off. So the yeah. fact that we didn't get that similar character and instead we get the crazy guy in the mountains watching movies character. Right. right. I was a little disappointed with that. You mean the crazy Hitler <laughs> in the mountains? Yeah. Uh, well, and actually it's. Yeah, I preferred him having syphilis as he did in the book. 
we would all prefer Hitler to have syphilis, but uh, um, I think um, I almost wrote Stephen Hitler. <laughs> oh, in your search. <laughs> well, um, so the thing about I did like the scene that Hitler was up in there watching like all these alternate versions because I liked the idea that Hitler, the meg- the megalomaniac behind all this would be scanning and looking for different, like, outcomes and realities. Yeah. And, like, I thought that was a neat And apparently idea. he's getting a ton of information from it, you know, when he has his conversation with Wegner. Yeah. Oh, he does He does play uh, Hitler in there. I didn't recognize him. He plays him. Hawthorne Ebenson? Is that Hitler? No. Oh, no, Hawthorne Ebenson's a character <laughs> in the novel. He's the guy who he is the man in the high castle, Hawthorne Ebenson. Wait, yeah. So what is this actor's name? Stephen Root. Yeah, Stephen Root, please. Yeah, yeah. He plays the, the man, man in the high, in the high castle. castle. He doesn't play Hitler. Here's another thing, just not to just okay. totally like sideline what David was talking about. But was there a resistance in the novel, other other than other than um, not to the level of which the yeah. And no. you guys know how I feel about these resistances. Yeah, I don't like them. And there, there, there was no, there was no resistance in the novel. There was just some, uh, like highwaymen. Yeah. yeah. Supposedly that we never see. Well, my favorite TV show, one of my favorite miniseries of all time is V, which is all about resistance. So I, I <laughs> just, a, it's I just be a fan of resistance. It's just a trope I've seen enough. Like it, it doesn't do it for me any, anymore. Okay. Well, and I will say like, yeah, it's a, it's done well sometimes. It's, it's done. Poorly. It's done everywhere now. Look at all those YA movies they've made. My girlfriend every single and I, one of those is a resistance. My girlfriend and I went to see Battle Angel just because we didn't have anything else oh, to do why on did Valentine's you do that? Day night. Because we like watching garbage. And let me tell you, it sucks. I wanted to see it. <laughs> it's it's it sucks. Don't see it. Yeah, there is nothing more hilarious to me than watching Academy Award nominated actor Christoph Waltz run down an alley carrying a big steampunk manga axe. <laughs> <laughs> You're but, not selling me on not going to see it. <laughs> it's dude, it sucks. It's terrible. It, it's Jupiter 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 Ascending. Is that the yeah, movie we the all one. saw? Yep. It's that level of terrible sci-fi. Uh. Come on, man! It's James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez. What did you yeah. expect? I, I, I actually I expected it to a, suck. I right. <laughs> I haven't watched a Robert Rodriguez movie I've liked in years. Okay, Robert Rodriguez is the part that I no. made me not want to see it. it. James Cameron is what makes me not want to see it. Yeah, hey, right? I re- no, I respect James Cameron. I think James Cameron is a good filmmaker, and I think people since when? Get- what was the last good movie he made? Yeah. Well, first of all, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about Terminator Two or Aliens. Okay. But come on, but man! Made those. Fucking Avatar and the Abyss, and he made Titanic. Uh, Titanic. I don't hate Avatar like you people. You people. You people. Like everyone. You people. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm saying you people are just like. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we don't. I don't know. Maybe it was the unobtainium, or maybe the shitty leading actor. Or maybe the think, no script. Or the, the, the stock storyline from www.ineedsomethemesinastory.com. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, it looked cool. No, it looked terrible. It I looked like Avatar a PC cool. video game cutscene for two hours. Well, he was doing new technology. I, I, new I don't know. technology looked like some <laughs> bullshit I played in high school. Yeah, and you get to play, you get to pay more at the theater because of it. So, to this day. Ah. <sighs> Well, look, I, um... And what was with the sex with the dragons? Or whatever? Oh, I don't remember that. Well, you know, they get that tube in their head that they use for sex. 
And then oh. they plug it into the animals and they get to talk to the animals. And then they fuck the animals. Yeah, I guess that's how you talk to them. <laughs> what are we hey. talking about again? <laughs> We're talking about Avatar. Maybe we need to cut this part out. Um, <laughs> nope, leave it. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm, I'm not saying. Today on the Cameron is a hack cast. Uh, yeah, that's mine and Larry's new podcast. <laughs> James Cameron, genius or hack? hack. <laughs> I don't know, dude. He, I do like the stuff he does outside of film. You can't, you can't, uh, really bet against him though. He always, he always succeeds. His movies always succeed. Because do- dumb people go to the movies. <laughs> Yeah, Dumb just... motherfuckers go to these movies. That is why people went and saw Battle Angel. That is why people love I Avatar know that people for some went to reason. See Battle Angel. Oh, people saw Battle Angel. I've seen it all over Facebook and Instagram. Oh man, this movie was great. It sucked. Because I know a guy that's seen it. Dumb three people times go already. to the movies too. Uh, well, look. It, here's the thing um, with uh, Cameron, and as far as him, you do know that Battle Angel is a script he abandoned. So you can't like he wrote that script like in the '90s, and decided that he couldn't make he didn't have the technology to make it the way he wanted to make it, and so he let it go. And and so he let it go, and then came back with something that I could see on my PS4. <laughs> well, I'm he did yeah, not right. <laughs> he did not resurrect the movie. Robert Rodriguez said I think came to him and said I want to make it because that script has been floating around forever, but it's like you know. On... And then the dollar signs came up in Cameron's eyes and. He was like, sure, we can make this movie. Now, I know how it'll make money. Will it be good? No. But at least it'll make money. But what does he make that money? What does he use that money to do? He does scientific things. That's and, what I was saying. I yeah. love the, I, I do like the stuff he does outside of film. And I got to say, if you listen to like interview, the, like I watched this Q&A with Cameron where they were just asking him general questions about science fiction. He is a serious fucking nerd. And I really respect that. And like, you know, that's. Well, if he was a serious nerd, he would make better movies. He made Aliens and Terminator and Terminator 2. So, in, in the end, he's, yeah. he's always... That was 30 years ago, man. And Robert Rodriguez 30. made <laughs> Reservoir... Not Reservoir Dogs. Whoa! Whoa. I, whoa. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi, Desperado from Dust Till Dawn. And guess what? Now he makes shit. <laughs> I've never been a big fan of Robert Rodriguez. Shocking. I'm shocked. I think he's kind of a bro with a camera. But I did like Sin City. I do like his channel, his his TV channel. Well, Jim Cameron's just a big dumb kid with a camera. All right, <laughs> we are way off the rails on uh, Ben and the High Castle, so uh, we should get. I'm back. coming at James Cameron <laughs> hot tonight. And don't even get me started on Spielberg. I got a lot of things to say about Ready Player One, another movie that just looks like a fucking video game, right? I'm but at least video gonna, games are interactive. I, I really hated that book. I that's a book I didn't finish, which is rare for me. Oh wow! I really fucking hated Ready, Ready Player One, the book. So I've never seen the movie, even though I'm not super anti Spielberg. But Senor Spielborgo, Senor Spielborgo, man, I really hope these podcasts don't come back to haunt us if uh, our book goes somewhere. <laughs> um, we love James Cameron. No, David. We have to stand by what we say. I like early James Cameron. I don't like new Jim Cameron. You know, if you're offered the money, just go ahead and take it. All right. So back to Man in the High Castle. Um, So, yes, one of the first major big differences is, is, um, you know, this 
whole Hitler storyline and the way that, that it's turned into a film. And I definitely think it should have stayed a book, at least impartial. I don't, I'm, I'm confused by what you what you mean, but I don't want to talk about it. So what's next? <laughs> <laughs> My point is, is that it could be both. Hey, Larry, I, you're the MVP of this podcast. <laughs> well, I just don't see the value in having it be a book. Because that that gives it still like a more direct authorship. It gives it more of a thing. But what people... they've what they've done with the film is make it not not solid. But it's stu- it's but... a malleable sort of you know multiple universe sort of doorway. Well, so keep keep the window. films keep the films as a part of it. But the book is 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 what sets it off. Because what you lose is you lose a couple things. You lose the the ability for people to trade it around because in 1962 there weren't like it's not like they people could hand VHSs around, so it loses the kind of viral aspect that the book would be like this thing that they're trying to suppress. But mean, but you did stuff. have film. I, why couldn't you pass the film can around like they do? Well, they do, but at the same time, it's not it's super accessible for anyone to just sit and watch the movie because they'd have to have access to a movie theater or a projector or you know, and I know more people had projectors back yeah. then than, than than now, but like, uh, I just think the aspect of the book being it, something that you could just pass around, that people mm-hmm. were reading it, it, it is that's just something that's missing for me in this part, and I think that 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 could have been there. Very, I think it would be visually boring. Well, no, you keep the film; you have it be both. That's that, what I'm it, saying. It doesn't even make sense to me. No, but what I'm saying is if the book inspired the films. What would you want in the book? All the same things that were in the book, in the in the novel, in the Grasshopper, Grasshopper Lies Heavy. So you would want a set reality in the book. Well, there isn't a set reality in the book because the multi- – Yeah, there is. Well – There's set events that happen in the book. Yes, but it's different from uh, – it's different from our history. So it sets up the idea that there's multiple multiple – realities in the novel and you could still do that and you could still you could keep all the things that well, it you sets could... up a, a in the novel it sets up a different reality because no. they only have their reality and that other reality but we know but see the the fact that it's a film in the tv show makes it so it could be any number of realities i understand the book that, would but... limit that no, the book doesn't limit that because we, we have the concept of that the reader knows that this is at least a third reality in The Grasshopper Lies But Heavy. that's not the characters. Okay, but either way, if you're doing this TV show, you could have – you could still do the films exactly how they did it, but just add the element that that the book is the central thing that kicks this whole, this whole thing off. And All right, David thinks it's a good idea. I think it's a shit idea. Next. <laughs> I think Anthony hates it or loves it or both. About having the book? Yeah. I'm on David's side actually this time. Good. Let's move on <laughs> from your stupid idea. <laughs> All right. David, All right. Well, carry on. If you're listening, let us know what you think, um, uh, Who who's right. But um, some other things that were on the show that just uh, were – I'd say like to me – some of the coolest moments of the series came from – there's a really cool scene early on in the show. I think it's in the first or second episode where um, our our Nazi guy um, – I can brain farting his name – Joe gets pulled over by a cop 
And I think this is one of the coolest scenes of the show. And there just happens to be, like, he gets pulled over right by, like, a factory where they're cremating uh, disabled people. Right. And this sets up the parallel and reversal kind of thing of, well, you know the Nazis are killing the disabled. And one of the best storylines in the show is uh, Gruppenfuhrer um, John Smith finds out um, that his son is disabled. And that his disability is going to take hold. And that he's going to be expected to um, kill his son, who he thinks is going to be um, a rising kid in the Reich. And you have all these cool scenes um, where you see kind of 50 suburbia life um, translated through like this kind of American Reich type thing. And I think that John Smith uh, storyline is one of the better storylines. It's the, the best. It's the best storyline, in my opinion. Yeah. Of yeah. The, yeah. It is really good. I do. I, I will say, I want to say, get this out of the way though. The, uh, the little subtle changes that they make to like posters, books, TV shows, all those things where you have like Ranger Reich instead of Ranger Rick. Right. And, and things like that, that is really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the set design and the attention to detail is really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they had like a, a you you bet your life or something TV show on, but it was like it was a Nazi version of it. <clears throat> you bet your Reich. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but no. And, and th- this was, and you got to understand for I don't know for pe- I know the two of you understand this, but the idea of doing a period TV show is already extremely expensive. Yeah, and to do a period TV show of a period that doesn't even really exist is, is an attention to detail that is really amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's really impressive. And I think that's one of the things that attracted Ridley Scott to the project in the early days. Um, Because I think that attention to detail is something that he's really into. Um, And I, for me, like even when it's, well, and he's famous for it. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's one of the, the trademarks of uh, placing saddles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're both not. In- wow. First, I thought Robert uh, Rodriguez Blade directed Runner. Reservoir Dogs. Now Larry's talking about Ridley Scott's blazing saddles. What the hell is that? That's a uh, <laughs> old school uh, phone but on in the a, wall. I, I saw an interview with the uh, one of the set designers, and Ridley Scott talked about his time on for- blazing saddles. For uh, Blade Runner, Could you imagine, and they yeah. had so they had so much stuff that they made that never even made it on film, but it was all to make the reality that much more real. It was incredible to see that that level of you know that level of of of, of visual design going into something when everything is done on computers now. Yeah, that is really cool, but I'm still laughing about the idea of Ridley Scott being the uh, <laughs> Jewish, the Jewish Native American Lazlum gay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, honestly, yeah, the the production design is incredible in this show, and it's one of the yeah. best things about it for sure. Um, and so let's talk about the Marshall now. We did a little bit already, but um, Burn Gorman. Um, who you might know if you are a fan of Doctor Who spinoff, uh, Torchwood. He was a major character in that. Uh, I think most people would probably know him from Pacific Rim, where he played a, a not very 
good character, but um, <laughs> but he did a fine job with what he was given. Um, but Burn Gorman is a he's definitely a that guy actor where you know his face but don't know his name. Yeah, and he's I, great. I never knew his name, and then I think his he name was also in Burn. Game of Thrones as well. I'm sure he was. I don't um, watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, I don't either. So I watched one season and wasn't into it. So, um, but Burn Gorman. Uh, as the marshal who is kind of the bounty hunter tracking down. So you didn't like it because it had sex. Anthony didn't like it because there wasn't enough explosions. I'm sorry. I, Are you I talking think, about Game of Thrones? I don't think I've ever come out on this podcast in particular and said why I stopped watching Game of Thrones. But it had nothing to do with the lack of explosions. Explosions! But it, it had everything to do with the fact that I just felt that they made a lot of narrative missteps and I didn't like the direction the show went. And there's hmm. too many things for me to watch and read. So I said, fuck it, moved on to something did you, else. Did you let's read the let's book? stop this narrative that I don't like sex. <laughs> okay? Because... <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> Wait till Anthony reads Hot the take. story that I just sent him <laughs> for our submission to the Cronenberg anthology. Hot by take. the way, uh, no, I fucking read Clive Barker. Clive Barker is one of my favorite authors growing up. There's fucking all over the place. Okay, so that is not my problem with Game of Thrones. Not at all. <laughs> I just don't like fantasy very much. Really. Yeah, I mean, I grew up reading Tolkien and all that stuff, but I'm bored and over fantasy. It just doesn't do it for me. Larry, you were asking me a question if I read the yeah, books. Yeah, did, did you read those books? I read the first book, and I read most of the second book, and I just kind of got too bogged down with all the details about right. food and costumes, <laughs> and I was just a little taken out of the story. I, I know the books are probably better than the show. Actually, but, I, I've, I've, I've but, heard both. But I've never been that. huge into fantasy. Yeah. So much like David in that regard, I just don't care. Like, I don't give a shit about Tolkien or any of the Lord of the Rings movies. See, I grew up on Tolkien, so I do like Tolkien. Do not care. Grew up reading Clive Barker, <laughs> which explains a lot. Right. But I grew up reading Barker, too. So that's – and anyone who reads the novel we wrote together will know <laughs> that we love Clive Barker. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones, sorry, not into it. Back to Burn Gorman. Boy, this is a very tangent, tangential episode. Uh, Burn Gorman is great as the marshal. It's definitely one of the cooler elements of the story. He is a brutal, brutal character and um, a really great villain. And it's he is bad. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And his performance, he is chewing the fuck out of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this, and it's like basically one of the most overtop performances. Like I've seen a long time. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um definitely the most over the top in this show. Okay, so um yeah, and I would definitely say that um that is one of the stronger elements. I think the whole Hitler storyline um was done a little bit better than than um I know you like Hitler with syphilis in the in the book, Larry, but I definitely I personally think that the Hitler storyline is done a little cooler here. Than the well, I, w I was really waiting for them to get into that story. Yeah, you know, because that it isn't until what episode seven. I think that they really get into the, you know, Hitler is going to die. Operation, yeah, um, the, the whole operation and the sunflower or whatever it was, <laughs> right? butterfly flower or whatever. It was. But the and the the changing hands of the Reich, you know, when Hitler dies, which I'm, I'm sure it gets into in the in the future of the show. But yeah, yeah. And um, 
I'm personally I think that's a compelling, you know, a, a compelling storyline. Yeah, and so one of the other really, really powerful scenes for me was, um, and this just goes to show you something they deepened from the novel because um, the guy who his job it is to pretend to be Swedish and he goes and he meets with, um, uh, he comes to meet with the Japanese about and kind of give them the heads up like, Hey, um, they're, they're going to try to start a war with you with operation, um, sunflower, sunflower or whatever it was. Yeah. That, that character is much better in the TV show. He's given much more to do. He's given much more, depth and i think one of the best scenes of the finale because to see this character who's in a nazi uniform go and say goodbye to his son who doesn't know that he's gonna die um is a really powerful scene it's really well done because i think that's gonna be hard for some viewers to watch a guy have this emotional letdown this emotional release say goodbye to his son in a Nazi uniform is just something. Yeah, right. Said that you know, it's because, hard. It's hard to have compassion for Nazis, right? And and I think that that is a magic trick of of the show, and I think one of the one of the best scenes in the in this uh, season. In yeah, I, I think the the trick is you can have compassion for that situation. What? what but then, at, but then you have to be like, yeah, but if that character gets shot in the head, I'm really not going to be upset. Well, which is sort of how I felt when Wegner shot himself. I was like, or whatever his other name is, his real name, Baines. Um, um, when he shoots himself in the head, I was like, "Yeah, all what, right. What actor plays uh, Wagner? Um, and can you tell me some of it's his credits? Karsten, Karsten Norgard. He must be a real German actor because his German looked pretty good. Well, it looks like that's a Norwegian name or thereabouts. He's from Denmark. He was an AVP? <laughs> I guess he was. And he was in Mighty Ducks 2. Mighty Ducks 2 and The Three Musketeers. Wow. The one from 2011. He was, yeah. He um, is in a lot of TV shows, it looks like. Yeah. Well, dude, put this one in your reel because that was a great scene. <laughs> that, yeah. I don't know what his role in AVP or Mighty Ducks 2 was, D2, uh, but he really, he just did awesome in that scene. So, um, he was a zombie in Resident Evil Extinction. Wow. Wow. I'm just blown away by this impressive resume. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, he this is good. probably the best thing he's done. I would say so. I'm sure it's like, yeah. I mean, that scene is really pretty touching and heart wrenching, you know, if you really get into it. And, um, and so, and for me, uh, one of the best moments of the series was seeing Tagomi in the plaza and just getting to see that realized. Yeah. That's like directly out of the book and a really cool moment. Um, so Larry Anthony, any other, uh, cool moments from the show you want to talk about? For me, no. I, I like certain moments, but I don't think anything particularly stood out as it didn't really blow me away. I think episodes of Electric Dreams have spent 60 minutes being awesome to me, whereas this had a few <laughs> types of... I, yeah, I don't think it's really scenes, is it? It's it, No, not really. Like, uh, like I, I liked the Yakuza characters, uh, like the main boss of the Yakuza. I thought he was awesome, but I couldn't really tell you, like, if there's really a scene where that, that you know, that awesomeness comes forth. It's just sort of 
this is a, a really good stock villain, you know, gangster character, all about the money, that kind of thing. So, and, well, here's the thing about the finale of the show, and I'm looking. I at did like the suicide when he, he pushes the the spy when um, Obergruppenfuhrer John Smith uh, pushes the guy off the building, pushes his assistant off the building, and then goes downstairs and says, "I think there's been a suicide." <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Yeah, um, pretty much anything Rufus Sewell has done on this show is amazing. Yeah, and he's throughout. I know I've seen him talking about filming season four, so he's his character, his storyline goes on. So a bit better, a bit better. Um, that, if it's not his story, I don't even want to watch this. <laughs> well, he's in it because so. I'll say it once more: fuck you, Rupert Evans. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you haven't seen the canal. Oh no, I haven't. Um, so in the Man in the High Castle in philosophy, there's an entire essay about um, like that Hitler, the ending with Hitler, and this essay has a thing where it says the um, most amazing thing about Spotnitz's show uh, and the finale is bringing you to the point where you see someone able to kill Hitler pointing a gun at him, and as you're watching, you're hoping he won't. Did you feel that way? Oh, no, I wanted him to shoot Hitler. Yeah, I wanted him to shoot Hitler, too. I don't get this. Like, I can understand what they're saying, but personally, I wasn't like, oh, no, I hope Hitler doesn't die. <laughs> well, and, and so I think they were trying to imply that the idea is that the alternative is way worse with Heydrich and, right. and, and like where they're going. And so, yeah. Yeah, that, that Hitler is viewed as the, uh, the, the lesser moderate. of the evils. Yeah. And that is an interesting twist, like to to do here. Yeah, so. sort of like Saddam Hussein was, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I guess like in the end, I think that's um, I think that's just like one of the most important things to talk about with the ending and and where it goes. But and all through the show, you know, is that do you support Joe even though he's a Nazi? You know. Yeah, and he's supposed to be like the handsome, you know, like hero hero. And he does do some heroic things in the yeah. in the show, but you know, and that's why you're supposed to feel like you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to want Juliana to let him go in the end. Yeah. Uh, where I was personally like, no, dude, you got it. <laughs> this gotta, guy's got to go. <laughs> this guy's got to go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But you know, when it comes to Juliana, if there's a bad decision to be made, she's gonna make. She's it. gonna make it. All right, so um, before we uh, – should we – yeah, let's let's uh, give our uh, rankings. Um, how many uh, – I don't even know because I, I know what I did for the book, but how many – oh, Jesus Christ. How many <laughs> – I always have these uh, ready. I didn't have this ready today. I'm giving them open group and furors. Oh, <laughs> How many open group and viewers out of five are you giving this, Larry? I, uh, for half the show, I'd give it like two, but then the last three episodes, I would have to give it a, a four. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and average it out at like three point five open group and viewers because, it, like you were always saying, David, it's a slow build, mm -hmm. but it's sort of like just. You know, the first four episodes are just boring. Absolutely just a trudge. 
you know. Yeah. You, you're just sinking in boredom. But then, then, you know, episode five has the Marshall, and that's exciting. Episode six kind of dips back down. I think it's and four then, that has the Marshall. Is it four? Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever episode. They can correct me on, on the interwebs. And then uh, once you hit episode seven, shit starts going crazy for John Smith. And that, to me, was made it worthwhile watching the show. Yeah. So for me, it's a lot like, you know, in a basketball play when you see or a football play where like the ball, like it looks like they're doing something really stupid and it looks like they're about to fumble. And then all of a sudden they make a miraculous play at the yeah, end. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. Yes. Yes. Like, like a successful two point conversion. <laughs> right. Um, so that's kind of how I felt about this season is definitely thought it was boring the first time through in the first line i've watched this season twice mm-hmm. now because i watched it when it first came out and both times i thought well i'm not really into this but i really like the book so i'm gonna see where it goes and then i think they they stuck the landing and they yeah. finished at the end so i'm gonna give it three and a half open group and fewers i'm gonna cut one of those group and fewers in half right three and a half and um <laughs> but i'm gonna give the finale um five like if i'm really? ranking the finale on its own i'm gonna give it five out of five even though frank and juliana keep making bad decisions well yeah but sometimes your characters just have to be idiots like they just have to do dumb but things. the whole time not the whole time but i'm just talking about the finale juliana almost did the right thing she led him to to kill him but, right it's you know just didn't see it through. Anthony, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> so I don't hate the show. I don't really like the book either. And the the problem is, is that it's just not necessarily a story I'm terribly interested in. I don't have like a hard on for World War Two, And I've yet to read an alternate history novel that I really felt was interesting. That said, You're I do. It's not a history buff i mean buff i mean i like history i just don't i don't have like this fucking raging hard on that everybody seems to have for world war ii it's everybody a lot of people do and well it's a very transformative period of sure and i'm not going to argue with that but i also that's something i'm more interested in exploring in nonfiction rather than fiction so but that said i don't think it's a bad show it's just not the show for me because there's a lot of cool stuff in it. I, I think that they did a great job adapting a pretty boring wannabe literary novel. <laughs> into yeah. yeah, I did you it. Fucking Don Wolheim. <laughs> over here. Well, but guys, listen. I think we can all know by now, I like Dick's pulpy shit way more than I like his literary stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and that's that's just me. Yeah. I'm not saying anybody that digs The Man in the High Castle is wrong. It's just not the book for me. The show's really not for me. I'm a little bored with Nazis, and the only interesting character is a character that basically stepped out of a Joe Lansdale novel. But go ahead, go yeah. ahead and say it. Say, say the thing about the Nazis boring you. I already did. No, but say it like you said it the other day. I don't remember what I said. I think you said, I'm just sick of seeing Nazis as bad guy or as the bad guys. <laughs> well... Or something. I it was see like how, that, right? Yeah. I, the Nazis are easy stock villains to use. Yeah. And it's a little boring. I will give it credit for them. I will give it credit because Up and Gruppenheimer is a more interesting 
complex character yeah, by the end have, of the show. You have yeah. Nazis who are becoming it's just, heroes it's of the show. It's just not an interesting a villain subject. For me. Yeah. And, and not that's okay. Subject, I'm just man. sick of Nazis as bad guys. I mean, you're reading into that what you want to read into that. Yeah, but uh, I, I, know, know. I know, I know, I know. It just sound, it, it I sounds, I think Larry was funny, <laughs> was making fun of because it sounds funny. It sounds the, like I'm just sitting here saying, guys, I don't know why Nazis can't be the good guys for once. Right. I, I know you're not saying someone, that. Someone's going to steal that sound clip and just blast it all <laughs> over the internet. Jesus. Yeah, Donald Trump's going to be like, yeah, I'm with that guy. And I'm going to be over here like, no! So I'm going to give it three uh, bounty hunter playing cards out nice. of five. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that was... Because I thought that was a nice... playing cards were a good I touch. thought that was a nice, interesting touch. And and it was really the only time I was fully paying attention to the, to the show. <laughs> I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean... Come on. No one's surprised that that was the, the thing I liked most about this show. Right. No, no. In fact, I, if we look back at our Facebook message thread, I think there may have been a time where I I was like, you're going to like one thing a lot. And I think that's what I was talking about. <laughs> All right. So here's the next big question. Would Philip K. Dick have liked this TV show? Larry? That's a good question. I I think I, I, now we haven't seen the whole show. Okay, so just imagine would, it, would he have liked one season, season one? one? Yeah, um, I I think he he would have. Yeah, I mean, I think, he, so I think he would have wanted it to be a little weirder mm-hmm. than it was because it's sort of you know it touches on the alternate realities, but it doesn't really dive into it. And I think he would really want them to dive into it. I think so, but to. I think he would like he would he would like this more than like a straight up action thing that we've seen in the past you know like well like uh like uh the the mars one the mars movie total recall total recall yeah i i think dick would have really liked this i think he would have i think he would have been pretty jazzed i think at this point in the show he'd be like so where's the man in the high castle (laughs) yeah where's the writer (laughs) yeah i think he might have been with me and anthony on the the book should have still been in there but i don't think no he's not an idiot <laughs> um, I still think he would have been with us, but um, then again, you know, I, yeah, and I think he would have been happy enough that the themes were there. I think he would have been happy with the translation overall, but um, and especially compared to, yeah, I mean, there are definitely projects in the past that he would have just been like, "That's fucking garbage," right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm sure he would have done the Stephen King thing where all the way through production, he would have been like, this is great. I can't wait to see it. And 40 then, years later than being like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> sometimes not even that long after. <laughs> um, I did the Dark Tower, like up to the day it was released, he was like, yeah, go see Dark Tower. It's really great. And then the day after it was released, he was like, yeah, I'm not so fond of that. <laughs> like, like the day later. Um but yeah, I think overall he would have liked it. So uh, Anthony, you you agree? I think overall he would have liked. I think he would have liked it a lot more than he pretended to like Blade Runner. Right. Well, I think he was actually genuinely happy. You with think it. so? But yeah, I actually. I mean, we'll get to it. But I think he would have been most pleased with the a Scanner Darkly of all the adaptations. But oh yeah, we'll definitely. get there. <laughs> um, but I, you don't. Oh, I think he would have loved Scanner Darkly. But so. I, I think he would have appreciated what they've done with it but I, I do think he'd be like you know what happened to the grasshopper lies heavy yeah guys? yeah yeah he would have been like that david yeah. and anthony got got the right idea yeah 
And uh, what we want is a boring ass book in the middle of the screen the whole time. I did. <laughs> I did talking just, about one boring ass fucking reality. Well, and I did just listen to an interview with Gregory Benford, who was friends with PKD and Tim Powers and that whole crew in Orange County back in the day, and he's he very specifically said that. Katie was very happy with the footage he saw of Blade Runner, and uh, he knew him better than us. So, um, doesn't mean he would have liked the final product. In fact, you know, no one likes the theatrical release of that movie anyway. That's true. That is true. I mean, he liked he liked the version he saw, the rough yeah. cut that he saw, and I and I'm sure the rough cut that he saw didn't have the stupid the voice voiceover. Yeah. I have one friend who who insist that the voiceover version is better and i'm just like dude oh i can't wait to get to that episode <laughs> our, yeah our, our two-part four-hour epic episode yeah. <laughs> on blade runner and then the follow-up two-hour episode on 2049 yeah yeah cool. and we watch all the versions of no blade runner. i fucking kill myself <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate director's version cut the ultimate commentary <laughs> oh uh. Well, I think we already talked about how we would have done things a little differently, so I don't think we really sure. need. To... Yeah, we are. We covered that throughout. Yeah, we covered that throughout. But um, so I think we're pretty close to the end here. So, well, Anthony, I David, li- I liked the characters oh, whoa, they whoa. added. I just want to throw that in there mm-hmm. that they added a bunch of characters into this story, and I like pretty much all the characters they added into it. Yeah, the um, the even though I dislike a lot of the characters. I the think one they're really good characters. Rick Worthy, I think, was the, yeah. the actor yeah. who played uh, the Len Washington. Yeah. yeah, he was a great character, for example. Yeah. All right, Inspector so... Ito, or Inspector Keto. Yeah, so that's Man in the High Castle. Um, and uh, Anthony, what are we doing next? We're doing Philip K. Dick's A Sack Full of Marbles. <laughs> Which is what this cover leads me to believe is this book is about. <laughs> no. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before you do that, we should mention that we will have an interview coming out in a couple days. Like, True. With yeah. um, the organizers of the, this year. International Philip K. Dick Film Festival and the Philip K. Dick Festival, which are two different things. Yes. So All right. listen in for that. So our next book episode, we're getting back on track with the books, is Dick's The Game Players of Titan. Let me read to you what the Game Players of Titan is about. Awesome. Years ago, Earth and Titan fought a war, and Earth lost. All right, I'm already on board. The planet was irradiated, and most of the surviving population is sterile. The few survivors play an intricate and unending game called Bluff at the behest of the slug-like creatures who rule the planet. (laughs) Yup, you're selling me, book. At stake in the game are two very important commodities, land and spouses. Pete Garden just lost his wife and Berkeley, California. I didn't know you could lose a state. But he has a plan to win them back. That is, if he isn't derailed by aliens, psychic traitors, or his new wife. The Game Players of Titan is both satire and adventure, examining the ties that bind people together and the maddening picadillos of bureaucracy, whether the bureaucrats are humans or... Do you fucking... You're fucking it up! (laughs) Go. In the maddening picadillos of bureaucracy, whether the bureaucrats are humans or aliens. So basically, if this book doesn't have psychic traitors, I mean, real pissed, just like it tried to sell me on there being a radiated assassin in World Jones made, and he dies in three pages. Now, David, what were you saying before you completely kicked my, my reading in the dick? 
Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say, like, this book is very clearly, and I want to say this now before we actually read it, because I'm starting it tomorrow. Um, this book is very obviously a reaction to Don Wilhelm and, and Tony Boucher. Shout out to Tony. <laughs> um, talking shit on Man in the High Castle and the fact that it wasn't science fiction. It was like, I, I'm almost positive that he was like, oh, you think I don't write science fiction anymore? Well, take this back. So, so, so this is the equivalent of Dick sending uh, Don Wilhelm and Tony Boucher a picture of his dick. And being like, I got your sci-fi right here, dogs. I think the marbles on the cover are, are Don Wolheim and Tony we, Boucher's marbles getting kicked in. When whoa. He, when he was we, like, this is, I write science fiction, fuckers. We gotta talk about these Mariner editions just briefly because the covers are terrible. They don't make any sense. They don't relate to the books and I hate them. Yeah, they're terrible covers. I'm sorry, Mariner. I, I, it's I, true, Mariner. I'm sorry, but these covers are 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 not as bad as the old school leisure paperback covers. Yeah. But they suck. Yeah. With those Berkeley editions though. The one the one I have of the uh the vintage ones aren't great either. The vintage editions are not. The one I have of the uh the stupid boob mountain book. Oh Cos- the cosmic one that puppets. makes it look like <coughs> Yeah. No, the vintage are the, the the one um the ones that came out in the I think the nineties. I like but, those. And they're better than the Mariner ones, but that's not really saying much. <laughs> but anyways, I'm ready to to see uh, Don Wolheim and Tony Boucher get kicked in the marbles with uh, some serious sci-fi because I think that's what PKD was doing. I think he, I think he was like, "Oh yeah, you, you, you think I don't write sci-fi anymore? Well, here we go. Well, so. check out my dick. Well, isn't this after he decided <laughs> that's that only acceptable because his name is Philip K. Dick? Nah, didn't he? Isn't this after he decided he was a science fiction writer? <laughs> Well, we'll find out oh, when yeah. David gives us a history when David lesson tells on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, uh, after the interview, we'll see you in Game Players of Titan. And uh, keep it paranoid. Good stay, night. Stay paranoid. Be paranoid. Stay paranoid. Stay paranoid.